Thank you for downloading this podcast from Bromley Town Church. We pray this message will refresh and encourage you. For further information about Bromley Town Church, you can go to our website, www.bromleytownchurch.com. Thank you. So, um, as everyone said, uh, my name's John, um, and this is the second sermon um, that I'm preaching about demons and the demonic. Um, if you weren't here last time, uh, CDs are available, though the sermon's not yet on the podcast, um, but I'm going to remind you um, of what I said anyway. So if you weren't here last week, I will still be refreshing what we said. So that's fine. And uh, I thought the sermon went well last week. I listened to it on the CD <laughs> and uh, turned the volume down some shortly before the end of the sermon, about 10 minutes to go, so as not to wake up my sleeping son. But, um, yes, I thought it, was, uh, I thought it went well. Um, and initially, I'd planned to say a bit more last week, but it's actually worked out perfectly, um, the way it worked out, because now we're going to move on to talk about Jesus, uh, Jesus' ministry to demons, his commission to us, the expectation of us with regard to the demonic, and then some application for us. Um, but I'll remind us of what we said last time. Um, one of my friends there at the back said last week that he, th- he thought the song was fantastic because it looked like my head was going to explode <laughs> at the end. Um, so, uh, so, uh, so last time, um, I started off talking um, basically about the fact that um, our lives don't match up to Jesus's with regard to his ministry to the demonic. Short and simple. Um, and I told a, a bit of a story about that. But the, basically, the main point there was our lives do not match up to that of Jesus's with regards to the demonic. Um, and then I said what demons are. And the reminder for that is that demons are evil angels who sinned against God and now spend their time working evil in the world. And I also defined angels so you'd know what a demon was before it sinned against God. And angels are spirits that were created by God um, with high intelligence and independent will, but without a body. So that's what angels were, and demons were evil versions of that. And then I talked about the fall of Satan and the fact that Satan is the prince of the demons and that Satan was the originator of sin when he rebelled against God. And we looked at the passage in Isaiah 28 or 14, forget which one it was. Um, and, uh, and Satan originated sin in the earth. And having, having fallen, Satan then tempted Adam and Eve to sin. And I said that the purpose of Satan and his demons is to take as many people to hell as he can. Satan's punishment has been decided. He rebelled against God and will be hurled into the pit forever to receive eternal punishment. But in the meantime, before Christ comes to earth to judge the world and and the final time of judgment, uh, Satan's mission is to take as many humans to hell as he can. And uh, and that's why he originated sin with Adam and Eve, because now mankind was born into sin, and so potentially without, without God's intervention on the earth, Everyone, everyone would go to hell. So that's the way Satan did that. And then the thing we looked at last week in the Old Testament was uh, idols. 
and the fact that uh, the early goat gods, like the goat idols, and then the golden calf, and then particularly the idols that uh, Israel took when they moved into Canaan, so these were Molech and Baal and Asherah, that these idols that they worshipped were in fact demons. They weren't statues, they weren't imaginary idols, they were demons. This is what the Bible says in Psalm 106, verse 37. So they were demons. So when they sacrificed their children, you'll remember, to the idols, they were sacrificing their children to demons. When they came to worship Baal and Asherah, instead of God, they were worshipping a demon. And the challenge I gave to us was that why should we imagine that Satan would have stopped using demons to take the place of idols to lure people away from worshipping God? Why would he have stopped doing that now? And the implication to that is, and this link to Jonathan's sermon about Elijah, was that Baal and Asherah and Molech, the demons that were behind that idolatry in the form of materialism and sex and convenience with regard to abortion and things like this, that these, the, the, the spiritual forces behind those idols in the Old Testament are still present in our society today. And therefore, we need to be serious about our own idolatry, whether, whether that, again, for you is money or a relationship that you're in, or your love of sport, or your love of television, or whatever that is, the things in our life which we find we're worshipping ahead of worshipping God, we should be aware that there's potentially a demonic force behind that, because that's what the Bible said, about, said for the Old Testament and for Israel, and so we should assume that that's true for us today. Because why would Satan stop operating in that manner when his purpose is to distract us from God so that we will go to hell. So that, that was what the previous sermon was. I could have just done it like that in five minutes last time. That would have been, uh, that would have been good. So, uh, so we finished there. Um, so, but today, we're going to look at, at Jesus. When Jesus came into the earth and his ministry to demons and his relationship with the demonic and so forth. And um, the, one of the, like, the key texts for today is Luke chapter 11, verse 14 to 28. Um, and so we might come back to that. Well, we will come back to that, but I'm not going to read that out now. Um, so, so we kind of saw, um, as we saw last week, so the, like Jesus came to the world when it was in a particular state. So we saw in the Old Testament that Satan was using his demons to encourage idolatry, to, 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 to seduce the people of God away from worshipping God, to worshipping idolatry. Um, and there was demonic influence. And basically here, in this passage which we'll look at, um, the world is described, the world that Jesus came to is described as being Satan's palace. It's, it's described as the palace of a strong man. So it's a, it's a palace with a strong man who is well-armed and he guards the palace and the palace is full of his possessions. And the possessions are people who live on the earth. So this is the description of the, of the world that Jesus came to. So effectively, 
It's, it's like Satan guards the palace. It's full of people. And he guards it with his weapons, which are like, which are sin, and the, and the consequences of sin, which is like sickness and death and demons working in the earth. So they're working in, in the form of idolatry. And as we see, again in the Old Testament, uh, that a, a tormenting spirit comes upon Saul. So there are spirits working influence on people. There are spirits taking the form of idols. And, and it's a palace well guarded by Satan. And, and basically the description, like the work of the work of the religious people of the time, basically it's not having an impact on the palace because Satan is a strong man and he is fully armed and he is able to defend the palace at the time. You see, so, so, so the time, when Jesus came, when Jesus was born, the world and Israel was like, was like this locked palace. And effectively, the people of Israel were within the palace. And those people who were faithful to God were not having an impact because Satan was strong, stronger than the forces of the religious people of the time. And his demons, his weapons were effective and he could guard the palace. This is the picture we see. And, um, and it's like, if, if you look at Israel at the time... Um, Israel had come out of its covenant position at the time, of, uh, the time that Jesus came. The prophets had been silent for 400 years. Um, you can always tell quite easily when Israel have come out of their covenant position, actually, because uh, Deuteronomy contains these like, numerous promises that if Israel is faithful, things will go well for them, and if Israel is not faithful, things will not go well for them. And, and, you know, it's foretold in Deuteronomy that it won't rain. If Israel worships other idols, it's not going to rain on the land. There'll be a drought. And that's why there's a drought when Elijah comes. That's been promised. It's been promised before by God that there won't be rain if they're an idolatrous people. And that's the situation Elijah comes to. And, uh, and, and you know, Israel been, were promised a land in their covenant with God. They were promised the land of Canaan. And then... Philistines lived in the land, and the Amorites lived in the land. And then Israel first were taken away in slavery to Assyria, and then Judah were taken in slavery to Babylon. And, and the remnant of people, you'll know in the, you'll know in, you know, when they rebuild the walls, that's Nehemiah, isn't it? They rebuild the walls, and a remnant of people come back from Babylon, and God's favours upon them. And you see what's happened. What's happened by the time Jesus comes is that the Romans have now come and invaded Jerusalem again. And the people of Israel were out of, like they were out of their covenant position with God. They were out of relationship with God. And you can see that really easily. And, you know, like the Romans had come to rule in Jerusalem. So given Israel's history, you can probably imagine that quite a lot of them have taken the gods of the Romans because they're so idolatrous continually. And you can see what's, what's happened to the church that there's deception, not, the, not the church, like the, the temple system and so forth. There's deception amongst the Pharisees. And there's blindness and pride amongst the Pharisees. And they're leading people astray because they're ignoring the true law. And they're thinking up all these tithes for herbs and things like that. So they're ignoring the law of God. And they're worshipping their idea of the law. So you can see deceptions come upon them. And you can see the blindness is so deep to the people of Israel because they're awaiting a Messiah but instead of, you know, like we read promises of the Messiah now in like Isaiah 53 and 
54, and it's quite clear to us that the Messiah will be humble and unrecognisable and will, will carry a cross and will be, people will look away. But for them, they're waiting for a king and a mighty warrior to come. So there's deception. There's deception like in the temple system and there's idolatry in the land and these things. And you can see at this time that what Jesus came to was were a people like locked within the palace of Satan. And Satan guards the palace strongly. And this is the world that Christ comes to. And the way that Christ describes his mission, we'll see it here. We'll go from verse 20, so it's Luke, Luke 11, verse 20. It says, But if I am casting out demons by the power of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. For when a strong man like Satan is fully armed and guards his palace, his possessions are safe. And that's the situation we see. The possessions of Satan were safe within his palace and he guarded it. And then verse 22, until someone even stronger attacks and overpowers him, strips him of his weapons and carries off his belongings. And so this is the mission of Christ. And this is why when Jesus comes to earth, he's... he's his, like, his purpose and his mission as he goes about, the demons respond to him. Because as I said last week, there's a time he comes off the boat and they respond to him and there's a time he comes into the, the synagogue and they respond to him. And this, is why they, and this is why they respond to him because Jesus' mission was this. The palace was well guarded. Satan owned the palace and he was armed and the palace was well guarded and the people were within the palace, well guarded. And Jesus came to overpower Satan. So he overpowered Satan and bound him, and Satan's weapons were neutralised, and Jesus overcame them, and then Jesus enters the palace, and he plunders, another, another version of it says, plunders the palace. So Jesus plunders the palace. And this is, so this is what Jesus' mission was. So he came to a world that was guarded by Satan, and people were locked in bondage to Satan, and bondage to sin, and, and, the, and the demonic idols, and demonic influence and possession of people were over them. And the strong man guarded his house, and Jesus came, bound the work of Satan, neutralised the weapons of Satan. You know, the, the idols of people's hearts, he could call, like he could call them on it, and he could forgive people's sins, and he could cast out demons, and he could forgive people of their sins, which had caused them to be paralyzed or blinded. He could do these things, and then he brought the news of the kingdom of God, and if people repented, like he would carry them out of the palace and into the kingdom of God. And that's why he says, repent, if, like the first thing Jesus says after he comes out of the desert is, repent for the kingdom is now at hand. And so what you have now, it's like the world before was like the kingdom of Satan. It's called the ruler of this world. The world was this palace. But now there's a contrast because there's the palace of Satan and there's the kingdom of God. And while Jesus is on the earth, he is stronger than Satan. He has overpowered Satan. He has neutralized his weapons and he can plunder his house freely while he's on the earth. So there's the kingdom and there's the palace of Satan. They're side by side. And all Jesus is doing when he's on the earth is plundering the palace of Satan. That's what he's doing. And he, he, that's what he said. The sign of the kingdom is that the demons are loosened. 
and people repent and come into the kingdom of God. And that's all Jesus did when he was on the earth. It's what he came to do. And he led up to his death, and that was, the, that was like the eventual. You know, when Jesus died for sins and was raised again, Satan was, you know, that, that's like cemented Satan's defeat. However, Jesus had bound the strong man at the very start of his ministry when he came. And while he was on the earth, he was continually plundering the palace. And the way that Jesus did this, the way Jesus uh, overpowered Satan, we see, was when he was tempted. Now, you see, the first thing that Satan did to Adam and Eve to bring sin into the world, his main attack was to tempt Adam and Eve into sinning by telling them a lie and playing to their pride and causing them to sin. That's the first attack that Satan made. And Satan does the same thing to Jesus. And it's a passage, obviously, you know, well, it's in Luke 4, and I'm not going to read it out. It's not in Luke 4. Or maybe it is. Uh, it's, a passion. it's a passage which I know well. I say I'm not necessarily going to read all of it. But, um, but Jesus overcame Satan in the desert. And you see, and the things that, that Satan came to tempt Jesus with, well, he tempted him to turn the rocks into bread because he was so hungry. Now, Jesus, was, Jesus did everything in response to what God asked him to do. We know that. So the reason that Jesus went to fast in the desert is because God would have asked him to. And so, so the temptation here was obviously to put what Jesus perceived as his own needs ahead of what God had asked him to do. So that's the first temptation, and Jesus resisted that. And then the second temptation is that, that Jesus will receive all the kingdoms of the world if he bows down to worship Satan. And so that temptation is that Satan can seduce us to worship other things or him or other idols for our own profit. And Jesus obviously doesn't do that either. And then the third temptation is that Jesus could, could jump down from the temple and put God's power to the test. And so he would be testing God, and that's against the command. So it's that he can, that he can seduce Jesus into, into, into like testing the promises of God or disbelieving the promises of God or breaking the promises of God. This is... a these are the temptations, and Jesus resists all of them. And having, t- having overcome those temptations, you can see this is, the luck, this is the first time that someone came since Satan began to deceive Adam and Eve. His deceptions and his lies are overcome. So he was a murderer from the beginning, I said that last time. He was a liar and the father of lies. But Jesus cannot be, sl- he can't be swayed by these, by these lies. He's not swayed by these lies, and he stands firm. And the strong man is overpowered there. That's at the start of Jesus' ministry. And he overpowers the strong man right there because Satan's temptation and his deception and his lies do not work on Jesus. So that's the, uh, it's the strong man overcome. And you see, and we see signs in Jesus' ministry all the time of him, of him, of him neutralising these weapons of Satan. The first person that Jesus delivers is in uh, in 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 Luke, is uh, Luke four thirty one. It's the first demon that Jesus casts out in the synagogue in Capernaum. And Jesus has just come. He come like he comes from his temptations, and it says, uh, Luke verse four. Verse, verse four, Luke chapter 4, verse 14. He returns to Galilee full of the power of the Holy Spirit from the temptations, and then he reads the scroll 
in Nazareth. And then he goes to Capernaum. And he's teaching in the synagogue. And this spirit can't resist but call out to him. And in verse 33, once when he was in the synagogue, a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit, began shouting at Jesus, Go away. Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One sent from God. Jesus cut him short. Be quiet. Come out of him, he ordered. At that, the demon threw the man to the floor as the crowd watched. Then it came out of him without hurting him further. So that's the first time Jesus delivers a demon. And he does this repeatedly. And there are numerous times, like I say, like there, Jesus is teaching and the demon starts calling out who he was. And this happens later with the Gerasene demoniac. Jesus gets off a boat and the demon starts to come and starts to plead with him not to cast them out and not to torture him. Jesus had complete authority over demons. There's not, there's not a time, you don't, really, you don't see a time with Jesus where, uh, where someone is possessed by a demon and Jesus comes and like, struggles in prayer to overcome against the demon. That's not what happens. He comes and they obey him because he has complete authority over them. So he has the, you know, as you saw there, verse 14, he's full of the spirit of power and he has this authority and the demons, they have to obey him. There's a bit later on, talks in, again in chapter 4, and it's about verse 14, and they bring lots of people to him and the demon possessed. Many were possessed by demons and the demons came out at his command shouting, you are the son of God. And they just, like, the demons cannot withstand the power of the Holy Spirit and the authority which Jesus carries as the Son of God. You understand this? All the demons, they just have to respond to him. Like, some of them have to cry out to him and beg him not to cast them to the pit right now, such is the power he has, such is the authority he has. They call out to him. They cannot withstand his power. This is the truth. The weapons are they're completely neutralised. They're completely neutralised. That's how he neutralises them. And then, and then there's the plundering of the house. And so Jesus' mission, as we know, he comes to bring, he, he calls for people to repent and he frees them from their sickness and from the, and from the influence of demons in their lives. And he calls them to a genuine repentance because the kingdom is at hand. He says, repent from your ways and follow me. And it's, it's that repentance, that call to genuine repentance and people leaving the house and coming into the kingdom. That's his message. So we see there, he binds the strong man. The weapons of a strong man are completely neutralized. There's nothing they can do. And he plunders the house. Okay? So these are the things that Jesus did. So this was his mission. Now, he commands this mission to everyone, to his followers. This is what he does. There's numerous times that Jesus makes it very clear that the mission he's been doing on the earth he is now passing down. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 1 to 5, it's the first time that Jesus commissions uh, the 12 apostles. And they're told to go to, to all of Israel, not to, go to the, uh, not to go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans, but to go to all of Israel. And they're told, go and announce to them the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, 
and cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. And in verse 1, he gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. So you see, Jesus is the same authority Jesus had to command demons to leave, to leave people, to stop influencing them, to stop possessing them. That same authority, Jesus gave that to his disciples. And then Luke 10, Jesus, Jesus now chooses 72 other disciples. And then verse 17, when the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use their name, use your name. And Jesus replies in verse 19, look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. So Jesus then gives the authority to the 72 And then in the Great Commission, Jesus says, uh, Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And the commands which Jesus had given them were back in Matthew 10. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. And they'd been given authority. So all those who, are, who, are, who have been discipled by the early church, so the church throughout the ages, has been given this same commission that they were. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. And then we see in the early church this same authority and the same power and the same mission being fulfilled. So Acts chapter 8, verse 7. Philip was preaching in Samaria. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. And many who had been paralysed or lame were healed. So we're expected to carry on the mission of Jesus. Now you'll remember that I said the key things about the mission of Jesus were the, that he had the power of the Holy Spirit and he had the authority that his name carried. And both of these are passed to the disciples. So Jesus walked in the power of the Holy Spirit and then he promises it to his disciples. And there's Luke 24 verse 19. Uh, no, that's probably not the right verse. Uh, John 14, probably better for us to go to. Good work there. John 14, chapter 15. If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. And we were given the same authority that Jesus had. So Hebrews chapter 2, verse 4. You don't have to look all of these up. 
God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever he chose. No, it's verse 14. Good work, John. Because, you know, I'm not going to read that one. Right, it's going well here. We're going to ignore that. So you understand. Okay, so we have the authority when we use Jesus' name, the same authority that was passed to the disciples has come to us and the same power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus walked in. And it's what we need to understand about, I think, because Jesus was fully man and fully God. We know that. And so we could, have the, we could have the understanding that the power that Jesus walked in was part of him being fully man and fully God. But if, when you read Luke there, what you actually see is it's the power of the Holy Spirit which is upon Jesus. That is the power he used for healings. And that is the power that the demons had to respond to. And that was the power for him to, to turn water into wine and these things. That was the power of the Holy Spirit. And he then promises that to us. And what we see with the early church, what we see with the early church with that power, like Peter, you know, Jesus said to the disciples that they would do greater things than him. And, uh, and there's that bit in Acts. When the, when, they, when the people know that Peter's in the town, they bring out the people in mats, on mats, and they lay them on the street. And when Peter walks along the street, his shadow falls over the people and they're healed by his shadow. And then later, it's like a, like a piece of cloth that Paul touches and people are healed by, by, by the pieces of cloth. And, uh, and you know later there's a, there's a demon and he says to the people that he knows Jesus and he knows Paul. And so Paul had the same, as like the same level of authority to the spirit, like to the to, to demons that Jesus did, the same authority. And Peter walked in the same power that Jesus did, the same power and the same authority. And we are expected to carry on the same mission with the same power and the same authority. And, you know, and it, and it almost feels like, it almost feels like we're still working out. Like, we're still at the state, it's like, we're still just happy to have been plundered from the house. Or we're working out whether we've been plundered from the house. And we're supposed to be binding the strong man neutralising his weapons and plundering the house and leading people into repentance and freeing people from the bondage of sickness which was caused by sin and freeing people from the bondage of sickness that was caused by demonic oppression and freeing people from fear and anxiety which is caused by demonic influence and freeing people from addiction which was caused by demonic influence. And we're not walking in that way. We're not walking like that. The idea, of our, the idea of our shadow healing people like, is quite far away. As I said last week, the idea of us walking down the street and a demon, like a demon-possessed person calling out to us not to torture them or to allow us to go into a pig so as not to be sent to the pit, that's quite, it's quite far away. And I want to look at a few reasons why we're not overcoming 
in the way that we should be. And, and I don't necessarily envisage this morning as me like giving the list of points and then us straight away applying them and then us walking outside and suddenly being in a new way because these are, these are things we don't necessarily have an answer to and stuff like that. But, but we'll look, I mean, the first practical point I want us to see... Um, you know, there, at Stonely, one year, there was this William Booth hymn which, which, which they'd, like, put to, put to modern music. And it had the line in it, we need another Pentecost. That was the line in this hymn. I mean, I'd, I was filled, filled with a spirit in a charismatic setting some 21 years ago. When we read Acts, I do not feel like I'm filled with the same... Holy Spirit of power that the disciples were filled with. I do not feel like I was filled with the same Holy Spirit of fire that came on Pentecost. I do not feel like I'm filled with that Spirit. And if I am filled with that Spirit, I don't walk in the same way that they did to live by that Spirit, or that I don't, or I don't encourage that Spirit or live by that Spirit in the same way. And the truth is, for this first practical point, I don't even know what the answer is, or where to start, other than for us simply to begin to pray, to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, for us to be able to bind the strong man and overpower the, the work of the enemy. And you know, the, the, one of the points I wanted to, to say here is it's, uh, it says it's in Peter, no it's not, it's in 1 John 3 verse 8. It's in 1 John 3, verse 8. No, it's not. My, my, the ones I've written down here are terrible. Right, you have to forgive me. Um, right, the verse is this. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Thanks. I've got loads of verses written here and it's one of them. James 4, verse 7. That's the first one I've written on my bit of paper. Look. Okay, resist the devil and he will flee from you. There is a walk of deeper repentance available to us. There is a walk of deeper repentance and a deeper purity and a, dif- a deeper righteousness available to us. You know, there, Satan can only be in one, like in, in one place at the same time. Right, Satan can only be in one place at the same time. And uh, we were talking a, a bit in life group this week and uh, about the idea that, you know, like, Satan's in one place at the same time and, and there are demons spread out and things like this. And, uh, but the idea that, Je- that Satan was probably around Jesus quite a lot, tempting him, in the way that it was like the prince of demons that was trying to tempt, tempt Jesus. And we also had the thought that maybe... The devil was around the early, like the apostles quite a lot as well. And so when Peter said, or James said, resist the devil and he'll flee from you, that's because like the level of temptation and seduction that the enemy was trying to bring against them was such that it was like it was Satan himself who was coming to tempt them. He wasn't just using a minion to come and tempt them. It was Satan himself trying to tempt the apostles. And what they said from their experience was, resist the devil 
and he will flee from you. There is, through the power of the Holy Spirit, there is an ability to resist temptation and walk in righteousness and not sin. There is a walk of righteousness that we haven't grasped. There's a, there's a verse... There's a verse in Peter and it says, when you've suffered physically, when you've suffered physically for the gospel, you are finished with sin. You are finished. He who suffers physically for Christ has finished with sin. And you kind of think, well, what does that mean? The walk that the apostles experienced, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, was that they didn't compromise over sin. There was, you know, we have, I think we have an understanding that, that, we're go, that, there'll be, that we will sin an amount and that it will be good for us to sin as little as possible and reduce the amount of sin that we have and do, if, and do good the rest of the time. And we know that our sins have been paid for at the cross and that our sins will be forgiven. But what Jesus did was he denied the temptation of the devil and he stood firm against it and he did not sin. And the power of the Holy Spirit that was in Jesus has been given to us. And so, so when we stand in that spirit, we can resist all temptation and not sin. I feel like that is, a, I feel like that is something that is sorely missing from my life. And you know what Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That word repent means stop doing, like stop doing what you were doing and never do it again. How often do we repent from a sin? How often do we repent from a sin? You know, you might have stopped smoking and you never smoked again. But if you had a problem with swearing and you repented for that, you might think you were doing well if like, you only very occasionally swore. You see what I mean? That's not what this is. That's not what the power of the Holy Spirit enables us to do with temptation. We can stand firm against it. When we live by the Holy Spirit, there is a power to resist all temptation. The power that Jesus resisted, the, the temptation that Jesus resisted through the power of the Holy Spirit was that he would effectively be recognised as the ruler of all the kingdoms of the world. And he resisted that temptation. Do we think, we've never resisted a temptation as strong as that. Ever. And the strongest temptations we, we face, like we cave to them. Because we do it in our own strength. And we don't rely on the power of the Holy Spirit there. You know, it's almost like, it's the Holy Spirit which allows us to walk in genuine repentance. When we received that when we received the Spirit by believing that Jesus died for our sins, that Spirit made us new and enables us not to return to the former things and not to sin again. And there's a walk of, there's a walk of deeper repentance and deeper righteousness there. <clears throat> Another of the points of, of application that I wanted to... So, so just to go back to there, just so we're very clear, the point is we're not filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And the answer to that, I don't know what it is, but we need to seek God by ourselves to pray for that. But that's what we need to see if we're to plunder the house in the way that is. Uh, the second point for application um, is, is prayer and fasting. 
Um, Mark 9, 14 to 29. Uh, Jesus, the disciples have tried to, uh, disciples have been trying to deliver a spirit from a demon-possessed boy. The disciples say, verse 28, afterward, when Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples, they asked him, why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? Jesus replied, this kind can only be cast out by prayer and fasting. Well, your Bible might just say prayer, but, but prayer and fasting. Um, and if you read that whole story, you'll see that Jesus arrives, finds out that the disciples can't cast the spirit out of the boy. And then he just comes and he delivers the spirit straight away. So when Jesus says prayer and fasting here, he's not talking that he heard the boy had a spirit and so went away and prayed and fasted and then came back and then prayed and then the boy was delivered of the demon. It's the fact that Jesus lived a lifestyle of prayer and fasting. Jesus had built his faith through prayer and fasting. And that's what gave him, that, you know, that added to the power and the authority that he had. I mean, that fits with our church teaching. The idea that we'll build prayer altars in our homes and an individual prayer altar. And that we'll have an open heaven over that place. And as we seek, you know, as we seek God in prayer and as we seek God in fasting, that will build our faith and bring us to that point. And so it's an encouragement for us to dig in with our prayer and dig in with our fasting. Um, the third point I want to make for, for application, I mean, you're, like, you might remember last week when I was talking about, about um, schizophrenia and stuff like this, um, I, just, I kept arming and ahhing about and kept making sure I was covering everything I was saying by saying that I didn't necessarily believe that everyone with mental illness, that that was caused by demons. Um, and, and I don't, and like I say, I don't necessarily believe that. And I don't, but the point is really here, we don't know what the causes of people's, we don't really know what the causes of people's problems are, if you see what I mean. Like, like you could, like you could, you could come to be prayed for me by the service today, and you could say, "I have these symptoms, which are like schizophrenia. I don't know whether it's demonic. I don't know whether I've whether I've got a serious mental illness." I, the point is, as I, you know, as we saw with the, I, mean, I don't really know what the answer is. We don't, we don't tend to know. Jesus knew when he was praying for someone, he knew what the cause of their sickness was, and things like that because he had this discernment to it. So there's a bit where the disciples ask, oh, was this person sick because of his sin, or was he sick, like, was he sick for another reason? And Jesus knew why people were sick. And, you know, and there's, a, there's, a, there's someone who's blind, and they get delivered of a demon, and obviously there's other people who are blind, and Jesus just heals them, the guy who rubs the mud on his eyes. But he knew what the cause of it was. And... Uh, and that ability to discern what's going on in the spiritual is, another, is a spiritual gift, which we're to discern. 
which we're to, which we're to, which we're to uh, be eager for. Romans chapter 12 lists what the spiritual gifts and one are that we discern the message of the Holy Spirit and other spirits. So there's a, there's a spiritual gift to discern what's going on in the spiritual and to understand what that is. So when I was standing there talking about the fact that I don't know whether this thing was a, like, is that a mental illness or is that a, a demonic thing, we don't really know. The truth is Jesus did know because he had discernment and we should eagerly be hoping for more discernment. We should know what the situation is with people. We should know if someone's sick because of unconfessed sin. We should know whether someone's sick because of demonic oppression. Or we should know whether someone's sick because Jesus, because God's allowing it prior to their healing. And then the fourth point I just wanted to look at was uh, just this idea, as I mentioned before, of us wanting to return to the palace of Satan. You know, we... Uh, because we were in, we were, we were in the we were in the palace of Satan, as I described, as I described earlier. We were in the palace of Satan, in bondage to sin, or 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 in bondage to demonic influence of these things. We were in that palace, and Jesus plundered us, or 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 people that Jesus had commissioned in the form of the church plundered us by preaching the by preaching the good news of the kingdom to us. And, we, and the reason that we were plundered from that kingdom was that we should stand with the authority given to us by Jesus. And we should exercise the power of the Holy Spirit promised and given to us by Jesus. And that we should then bind the strong man, neutralize his weapons, and plunder the house by preaching the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection, and that, and that when people repent, they can come into the kingdom and be freed from that bondage. That's what our mission is. And I do, like I say, I do wonder how much time we spend simply returning to that kingdom and dabbling and being half in and, and half out. You know, we were... We were freed from the world and we were freed from that bondage. And our purpose is to free others from it. It's not to work out whether, we're, whether we've still been freed or to work out whether... To keep returning there. If, you know, if we prefer the world to the kingdom of God, we're just so, we're just so far away from the purposes that we should have, you know. And it's exactly like the Israelites complaining about, about, about not having cucumbers and so forth when they're in the desert. We wish we were back in Egypt. We live a life where we wish we were back inside the, you know, we wish we were back inside the palace or the kingdom of Satan. Exactly like the Israelites wishing they were back in slavery to Egypt. Our purpose is to plunder the palace of Satan. We've been given the authority, you know, that authority of Jesus that the demons could not withstand. We've been given the power of the Holy Spirit, which was the power that allowed Jesus to heal and was the power that demons couldn't respond to. Been given the power to neutralise the weapons 
and we've been given a gospel that brings freedom to people in bondage. We've been given a gospel that shines a light to the darkness that people have. We've been given a gospel that lifts the shroud of blindness off people's eyes and will allow us to release them from the palace of Satan, from the, from, the, from, the, from the kingdom of the ruler of this world. We've been given all the keys to release them, to plunder them from the palace, to release them from the kingdom, and instead we are working out whether we have even been freed from that kingdom, from that kingdom itself, ourselves. We need to stop wasting our time um, and we need ourselves to be free from, from body. I mean, this is the other thing. This is the other thing which I thought. Because, because we're so ineffective at carrying out this, mis- this mission which Jesus gave us. You know, he gave us the commission to continue his work, bind the strong man, neutralize the weapons, release people from, from bondage plunder the house. That's the mission we've been given. Now we see how ineffective we are at that. And I think there's some work to be done within us ourselves. We have been plundered from the palace, but we may not have been plundered as effectively as we could have been. You see what I mean? We ourselves are not plundering effectively, so I don't know if we should imagine that we have been plundered that effectively. And I think that, that demonic influence and bondage to sin and things like this still remain within us. And I just, I wanna, we want to give some time this morning just to pray about things. If we look at the things which, uh, which demonic influence caused in the Bible, I say there's blindness and deafness and, uh, and, there was a, and, there's, and there's a man who's a mute and there's someone with epilepsy and there's this kind of savage kind of, kind of madness, the guy who would be snatched and run out into the desert, and, uh, and there's, there's Saul was tormented and given fear and anxiety. These are the things that demons do there. And um, I was going to talk briefly from my own experience here. Um, in 2002, uh, Todd Bentley came and did a, a rally here at our church. If you don't know who Todd Bentley was, is, what? Todd Bentley is, uh, he was an evangelist with a significant healing ministry um, and in 2008 uh, held a large scale, uh, what was called a revival in America, in Florida. And uh, whilst that was going on, he fell into sin uh, and committed adultery. And then he, so his min- he lost his ministry and has been in the city of healing. But, but prior to that, Todd Bentley w- was at our church. And, um, and, and prior to him coming, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd, that was just after I finished university. And uh, obviously, there are people who have backslid further than I had while I was at university, obviously, because I'm sure there are people in prison in, in America and places like this, who had been Christians and then subsequently murdered someone and things like that. They might have backslid further. But I backslid a very long way while I was at university. And when I came, I, I was asked to play that. I wasn't necessarily intending to come to the Todd Bentley 
uh, it's not a crusade, the, like the ministry time he had here. And, uh, and he gave his testimony about how he was freed from, freed from uh, drug addiction and the difficulty he'd been in. And I sat there thinking how good this testimony was and how helpful it would be to the many people here who weren't Christians and how great that would be. But, uh, but I, like, by this point, I'd... By this point, I was heavily addicted to, uh, to drugs, fair to say. Um, smoked cannabis every day and was taking quite a lot of pills and, and coke and stuff. And, um, and I just felt the need to go and, and, and just respond to something. Like, you know how you just, you just kind of feel the need to respond. And, and a guy prayed for me. And, um, and I just... Like, back then, people used to fall over a lot when they were being prayed for. And I fell over, and I was just, like, screaming and screaming and screaming and crying, but mostly just screaming. I didn't really know what was going on. And, um, and at the time, I wasn't... I've never been entirely sure, but I'm quite... I'm, well, I'm quite happy to say that I was delivered by, of a demon by the power of Jesus that day. I was delivered of a demon. I was freed from demonic influence. My addiction to drugs at that time was, was being caused by demonic influence. And, um, and in 2006, it's interesting, because in 2006, I was drinking too much alcohol. Um, and a very good friend in the church helped me with that. And, and we were able to work through that together. Um, and then I, so I, you know, and I stopped having the issues with dependency there and stuff. So I'm not saying all addictions are caused by, by demonic influence, but there are persistent addictive issues that people have which are caused by demonic influence and demonic possession. And, uh, and we, you know, we want to take our mission of plundering the palace of Satan seriously and we ourselves need to be completely free of the influence of Satan of the curse of sin of these persistent sins and addictions and things like that we want to be as free as we can of them and so I really want to urge everyone who feels that, they're, that they, there's a situation that might apply to them to come and be prayed for um, this morning you know, like I say, uh, I, none of us are walking in the power of the Holy Spirit in the way, that, the way that the early disciples were. And as I said, none of us are walking in that power the way that we could be or that we want to be. But we have faith in this house this morning that the bondage of Satan and demonic influence and oppression and addiction and sickness and other disorders and things like this, that we want to pray for them and we want people to be released into freedom. And the truth is, this morning, even with our little faith and with our little prayer and our little fasting, and we don't walk in the authority that Jesus has given to us and we don't walk in the power that we've been given, but, there is, but the name of Jesus, there is all authority to break all the power of the enemy 
to break every hold of demonic influence, to free, free, free us from all sin and sickness in this place. And so we want to pray for anyone who wants prayer this morning. And we will pray with faith that in the name of Jesus will release people into freedom in this place. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions or you're after more information about Bromley Town Church, do visit our website, www.bromleytownchurch.com.